0: And if you'll open your Bibles to the book of Psalm, uh, chapter 27, Psalms uh, 27. I'm going to read the first three verses to you this morning. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, My adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. So what difference, let's talk about confidence this morning. What difference would confidence, increased confidence, well-placed confidence make in your life? How would an increase in confidence affect your prayers? How would it affect your witness? How would it affect your willingness to try new things? How would your an increased confidence uh, build community? We sometimes think of confidence as something that breaks community. How, how could you be humble and confident? Uh, we're going to talk about that stuff this morning. One of the first things we see in the text is that The opposite of anxiety and fear is confidence. So in the parallel structure of wisdom literature, we can often see how God sees things. And in this psalm, we see that the opposite of fear and anxiety, for instance, in verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The opposite of that is found at the end of verse 3, yet I will be confident. And that's helpful to know because uh, it's really hard to quit something Without replacing it with the appropriate behavior. Uh, a lot of us have tried this in various ways where we've, we've tried to quit doing something. And, like, one of the hardest things to do is to quit worrying. You know, because, like, well, what do you do instead of that? Um, and, and anxiety is something that a lot of people struggle with at various levels. And the Bible just presents in just sort of a, well, of course, kind of way that the opposite of anxiety is, uh, is confidence. Now, that's important to know because uh, it'll give you something to aspire to rather than simply to not be anxious. Uh, very often, people who are struggling with anxiety uh, get anxious about their anxiety. And it's this, it's this feedback loop, you know. And uh, it's like, well, okay, what's the picture that you should have for what you're becoming? What's the thing that you should try to do? Stop trying to think of what you shouldn't do and start trying to think, of well, what, what should I be aiming for? Well, you should be aiming for confidence. But I think one of the things that is really most important about the way the Bible speaks about confidence and the way that it speaks differently about confidence than what you'll see uh, in the world is is that, you know, in the Bible, confidence isn't necessarily a good thing and anxiety isn't necessarily a bad thing. So, you know, the the way to think about this is, is that anxiety might not be your enemy and confidence might not be your friend. It's pretty different than the way you see it described in the world. So let me explain kind of how the Bible... Presents this, um, so think about the fact that your body is, in your mind, is sort of this uh, this running algorithm that's assessing how safe you are in any given circumstance. Okay, uh, the more we uh, try to get better at artificial intelligence, the more we're learning about human cognition. Maybe you've seen the videos, uh, a, a visual, uh, a, a visual representation of what uh, self-driving cars are trying to do as they're driving and. If you've seen videos like that, you can look them up. What you're seeing is this car is using its camera and it's scanning all of the information in its environment, and then it's trying to interpret that information and assign value to it. And it turns out to be really hard to do. And it turns out that we're gonna we're gonna need a little bit more time before we're in in, in the real Jetsons world, you know? Uh, So one of the things that that the Bible represents about uh, anxiety and confidence, that continuum, that spectrum, is that essentially what's going on there is you're just assessing your environment, and you're you're making a determination about how safe you are in that particular environment. So you're kind of doing the the, the artificial intelligence thing, although maybe yours isn't artificial. Uh, But you've got this scanning that's happening. So another way to think about it is, like... um, uh, when you when you camp in an RV uh, or something like that, you'll have a carbon monoxide detector in in the in the room with you or in the cabin with you. Anytime you've got some kind of a you know heat going on in an RV, you're supposed to have a carbon monoxide detector. And so that's because the bad thing about carbon monoxide is it won't wake you up when it's killing you. You'll just get sleepier and sleepier, and you'll die in your sleep. And so carbon monoxide detector is detecting sort of background traces of this deadly thing, and when it builds to a certain level, it goes off, and it tells you, hey, there's a problem here, and you can't see the problem, and you can't smell the problem, but you got to trust me, there's a problem here. So the Bible presents confidence and anxiety as just this sort of thing that God built in to all of us that uses all of our senses and our cognition, and it essentially establishes, well, okay, am I safe here, or am I not safe here? Are things okay, are things not Okay. And that's why the word confidence in the Bible gets used in negative terms and in positive terms. Uh, if you go on Instagram, it's always used positively. Like, you know, like, uh, like if you, I mean, not just Instagram, but like if you just read kind of psychological material, the assumption is always that you should have more confidence than you do, or that if you lack confidence, you should have more. The Bible says that it's actually possible to have confidence and be headed to ruin, which makes a lot more sense, actually. Uh, So essentially what's going on in the Bible is it'll use the same word. For instance, the word in verse 3 of Psalm 27, David says, therefore I will be confident. Well, that same word is used in places where uh, the confidence that people have is leading to their destruction. So um, um, one one of the ways this word confident is translated in bad connotations is just unsuspecting. So you've got instances where camps of God's enemies are camped out and uh, and they're about to be destroyed by the Lord's armies, but it says they were confident in their camp, or they were unsuspecting because they were sure in their camp, and so on. So one thing to really think about is is that confidence may not be as as big a deal or as great a thing as you may think it is. It has to be founded appropriately, and uh, and anxiety may not be as big of a problem as you're being told it is if it's appropriately founded. So the way that the world kind of deals with this is it says uh, all anxiety is bad, all confidence is good. Uh, therefore, we're gonna we're gonna mess with your internal system that's telling you, you know, your your internal system's telling you to be anxious, and a, we're just gonna program you with enough positive quotes and self talk, and we're gonna we're gonna essentially jam us. We're gonna pull the batteries out of the carbon monoxide detector. Like we're just gonna we're gonna strip this essential human function down. We're gonna make it not work. We're gonna it's gonna we're gonna sc- sear it like we would, would a conscience, and we're just gonna force you to think that you're okay, which is a really bad thing to do, because God built us with this ability to have anxiety and to have confidence, and 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 He did that so that we would be safe. And there, there are things to think about with this. For instance, you know. Uh, too much or wrongly placed confidence will kill you quickly. So the last famous last words of the redneck community, to which from which I hail, is you know, hold my beer, watch this. You know, so on one end of the continuum, falsely placed confidence will kill you quickly. But on the other hand, like if you're constantly anxious, your body's accumulating you know physical wear and tear, and anxiety will kill you, but it'll just kill you slowly. So there seems to be maybe even an explanation for why people default toward the anxiety sides. like falsely placed confidence, you could die like tomorrow. Falsely placed anxiety, you'll, you'll die 10 years sooner than you should. You know? So it might just be even a naturally conservative approach to, to taking care of people. So again, this continuum is actually just the way God created us. And, uh, and sometimes it's appropriate to be anxious and sometimes it's appropriate to be confident. David has a reason for his confidence, and this is really the point. David's confidence is well-placed because David's confidence is rooted in the right God and the right goal. The right God and the right goal. So let me just ask you some questions because you should assess. You know, maybe you're more confident than you should be. Or maybe you're more anxious than you should be. How would you know? Well, let's ask these questions. So, so who is your God? David's confidence is rightly placed because he has the right God. We shouldn't assume that the God we're trusting in is actually the right God. All right, The Bible says pretty clearly the, the, the kind of default problem, and it messes with our carbon monoxide detector, is that we tend to put our trust in things that are not God. We tend to have we have an idolatry problem. So uh, David's confidence is is rightly established because because he has the right God, but do you have the right God? When you're sorting out whether you should be anxious or, or confident, maybe you need to ask, do I have the right God? How would you know? Well, one thing I'd say is, do you have the kind of God that allows you to be surrounded by armies of wolves? If you don't, then your God isn't the God of the Bible. David's God Allows him to be surrounded by armies of people trying to tear him to pieces. The Hebrew language in David's description of his enemies is this sort of pack of wolves kind of deal. So the first question I'd say is, we're assessing: is you know, do you, who is your God? Is your God the kind of God that would allow you to be surrounded by your enemies? Because if if your God isn't that kind of God, then of course, you should be anxious the first time you're surrounded by enemies. Of course, you should be. Anxiety is good because your God doesn't uh, calculate. Your God's a genie. Your God doesn't let you go through dark times. So, yeah, you should be anxious because uh, you're, you're in a bad place and your God doesn't have uh, plans for you to be in a bad place. But maybe another way to ask is like, well, who is your God? Is to ask, well, what is your light? What is your light? David says, My God is my light and my salvation. What does he mean by that? Well, light in the Bible is just the foundation of your perceptions. It's the way you see things. You know, C. S. Lewis talks about that. He's like it's like Christianity for me isn't isn't like something I see, it's it's the light by which I see all things. You know, how do you see the world? What is your lens of perception? What is your light? What, what gives you understanding? Well, I mean, honestly, it's pretty common for people to use their own feelings as their light. Their own perceptions as their light. Some people use the culture as their light. They determine what's good and bad and right and wrong and acceptable and unacceptable based on what the culture says. And some people use logic as their light. and There are all sorts of alternative lights. And whatever you use as your light is your functional God, at least in the moment. So maybe you should be anxious because your God is not the God. Because the light that you're using to perceive your particular moment is your own understanding, your own take, your own feelings, your own thoughts, the culture, and so forth. David's confidence is rooted in God, the one true God, so it's a good confidence. It's not going to get him into trouble. It's what he should be feeling, and we can know that his confidence is rooted in the one true God because he sees the one true God as his light. He also says, uh, "My God is, uh, the God, God is my light and my salvation. So, uh, same kind of question. What do, where do you turn when you need to get bailed out or something? You know, maybe your God's excuses. Maybe your God is victim culture. The way you get bailed out of something is you lower the bar and you blame it on your parents or your culture. Or maybe your God is just lying. Like, what what do you turn to when you're in big trouble? When you've gotten into a deep pit, where what is your salvation? That'll tell you what your God is. Maybe your maybe your God is. Uh, is sympathetic friends who would never help you change but seem to be eager to commiserate with you. I mean, maybe your God is the political party that you think is screwing up the world or the political party you think is going to fix the world. Like, If you can figure out where your light is and where your salvation is, you can figure out what you're worshiping. And the truth is, I think a lot of times when we're feeling anxiety, the carbon monoxide detector is actually working And it's signaling to us, you are not worshiping the one true God. You should not have confidence right now. You should be anxious. Because functionally, practically, in your life, the God you are worshiping is going to fail you. And we assume that those anxious feelings are always bad. But they may not be. They may be communicating the deeper realities of our heart that say, hey... um, The God you're relying on cannot be relied upon. Therefore, you are not safe. David's safe. David's confident in his safety because he has the right God and also because he has the right goals. Uh, This is a very interesting thing to me, the way that goals change our perception of reality and values. So the other day, I waited way too long to go to the bathroom, and I really, really, really had to go. And I was, uh, but I'm kind of a bathroom snob. And, uh, and I, quick trips are my preferred landing place. And so so I pull into quick trip, and I pull on the wrong side, and all the gas pumps are in my way. And when I go inside, and I parked on the wrong end, and all of the food, and all of the drinks, and all the taquitos are in my way. Right? Like what happened in that moment was that my goal determined the value of every other thing I encountered along the way. And because my goal was not to get taquitos or get gas, like all the things that Quick Trip's good for, those things were seen as obstacles. They were determined, the value of those things was determined individually by what I was trying to get. You know, you could be stuck in traffic on I-35. And uh, you could look to your left, and you could see someone who is just Pounding the steering wheel with their fist. And they are super upset. And let's suppose that the reason they're upset is because that traffic is keeping them from getting to a job interview that they really need. They really need that job. And so all of this traffic is like, is like terrible to them. Because the situation they're in is a bad one because it's threatening this big goal that they have. But then you look, so that's to your left. And then you look to your right. And someone's, like, super happy, and you can tell, but you don't know why, and it's because they hate going to the dentist, and they had a dentist appointment, and they won't be able to make it, and they'll have to reschedule three months out. And so to your left, you've got, you're you're all in the same situation. To to the left, you've got someone who finds this traffic to be this profound obstacle that's keeping them from getting what they want. And to the right, you see someone that's like, I'm kind of glad that there are so many people that don't know how to drive on I-35. It's, it, it's crazy how um, how our situations and what we're trying to get, what our goals are, winds up ordering situations. So, so one of the ways that anxiety comes about is, is that uh, we find ourselves in a situation that threatens the accomplishment of our goal. All right? Like the thing I want is being threatened by the current situation. And therefore I'm anxious. Well, David has the one goal that is essentially immune to, um, to anxiety. It's What it is, it's anti-fragile. It's essentially immune to being interrupted. It, it actually can't be disrupted or disturbed. Look at verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's David's goal, right? One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek after. This is what he's going for. This is what he's looking to accomplish with his life. That I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So that's the one thing David wants. David's goal, David's God is God, and David's goal is to dwell with God. By the way, if God's your God, then the only goal that makes sense is to dwell with God. So David's God and his goals are in harmony, and they are both immune to difficult situations. They're both sources of strength to him, The situation David finds himself in as he's surrounded by armies is not a situation that is threatening the accomplishment of his goal. Think about that. The situation David finds himself in, which is really dark, really bleak, he's surrounded by ravenous wolf enemies that want to tear his flesh. An army is encamped against him. And that situation is not capable of interfering with the thing David wants most. You want to be a strong person. Connect your identity to the strongest being in the universe and make your goal the one thing that you know will happen. God will be glorified. If you want more than anything else to know God, to behold him, then there are not any circumstances that can ultimately interrupt the acquisition of that goal. So it's like, well, how can a Christian uh, go through life, a hard life, a difficult life, lots of suffering? Friends, we we really don't know the, the depths of suffering that saints before us have gone through in previous ages. How can a Christian go through all of that and be happy and be confident? with a smile on their face because they'd attached themselves not to something that could be interrupted or disrupted by circumstantial changes. They'd made it their life's desire to get the one thing that couldn't be taken away from them. They had a goal that moth and rust could not destroy and thieves could not break in and steal. David's goal essentially detaches him from the need to be anxious. And one way to say it is this. David wants to see God and his God is light. Therefore, a little darkness only helps him see his God more clearly. David wants to see God and his God is his salvation. Therefore, a little danger only helps David to see his God more clearly. David's goal to see God is one which cannot be frustrated. It might be the only one which cannot be frustrated. And so, uh, he's right to be confident. He has the right God, and he has the right goal. So what about you? (laughs) Should you be confident or is it a more appropriate for you to be anxious? Well, is your God the God? And is knowing him the thing you want more than anything else? If you answered no to either of these, then any confidence you might conjure is a false confidence a confidence you should not have. Is God your God? Is knowing God your ultimate goal? If you answered no to either of these, you have every reason to be anxious. Because the things you're trusting in and headed toward are eminently fragile, unreliable. They will fail you. You should walk on eggshells. Because you're walking on eggshells. <laughs> Anxiety is an appropriate response. When you are not safe. And If God is not your God. And he is not your goal. Then you are not safe. Anxiety is the appropriate response. If you are not secure. And if God is not your God. And knowing him is not your goal. Then you will be disrupted now how do you find confidence when it is the appropriate thing to feel but you do not feel it the claim that I'm making is not that our carbon monoxide detectors are perfect they can be wrong we just don't want to take the battery out we want to calibrate them we want to to let the thing be there let's just get it working better So it's possible for you to say, Chris, I really believe that that God is my God. And I really, um, uh, you know, it's a challenge to say this in a practical way. But I I can at least get on board with saying that ultimately in my best moments, I indeed do want more than anything else to see him. And yet I have quite a bit of anxiousness and not very much confidence what should I do about that well there may be some physical things that you need to look into your body can be trained over time to go to the default of anxiety and uh, there may need to be some physical interventions to help that process slow down but here's the good news If you can say this morning that God is your God, and that knowing him really is the goal of your life, but you're feeling anxiety, here's the good news. You have weak faith. Like, just, can you not be offended by that for a minute, and just say, oh, okay, I have weak faith. Guys, uh, you know, Peter had weak faith one time, and then he didn't. All of the disciples had weak faith. The truth is, is that if you're a child of God, you started out with zero faith. You have a lot more faith now than you did before you were saved. Weak faith is a real thing, but it's a fixable thing. So what are we talking about when we talk about weak faith? Well, again, let's go back to the basic idea. Your mind is doing this kind of constant math problem. It's adding in all the variables of your own sufficiencies and so forth. And it keeps coming up with, not safe, not safe, not safe. Well, what's the thing your mind's not taking into account? God, right? God is not being properly taken into account. I had these, um, it, was, it was very noble and heroic, but I won't go into the whole story. But when I was a kid, I got all these kids mad at me. And uh, they were threatening. and there's like six of them, and they were threatened to beat me up all the time, like constantly, And it was just a a process of me, like, avoiding being around them. But we all got off at the same bus stop. So that was rough. But I would just, I would would sit up front, and I would get off the bus first, and I would get home as quick as I could. And uh, this happened for weeks and weeks and weeks. And finally, they were frustrated with my successful evasions. And so they knocked on my door, and my dad answered the door. And, they, and my dad's like, how can I help you boys? And the boys were like, we want to we beat up your son. <laughs> and my dad's like, no. There was this moment, there was this moment where I heard the doorbell ring, I heard their voices, and I was just like 100% as scared as I was most of the time, right? Because the math that I'm doing is the math that exists. What am I not calculating What am I I not factoring in? That my dad's there, right? That's the one thing I'm not calculating. And so there's a moment when I hear their voices and my anxiety is just stupid. It's not well-founded. It's not appropriate. I'm safe. But I wasn't getting the math right because I wasn't appreciating the reality of my father. So if you have weak faith, that's what's going on. The Bible says that, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So, so faith is the thing at work in you that allows you to include God's character and his promises into your ongoing calculation about your safety. And some of them, some people are pretty good at that. They might even have what we call a gift of faith. And when they're doing the math and adding up, and like, am I safe now? Was everything okay now? Uh, the the God promises and presence, like that, really figures into their calculation. They're like, "Yep, I'm okay." I think David was that way. You know, other people they just don't put enough emphasis naturally on the reality of God's promises and presence, and so they're doing the math problem, and they don't really add a lot from these promises that God has given us and, and the presence of God. And so they're asking, am I safe, am I safe, am I safe? And maybe they intellectually know that, yeah, like, God, God's here. He's for me, so forth. But the weak faith thing is essentially the failure to appropriately add the value of God's promises and presence into this algorithm you're always doing that determines whether or not you're Okay. And the truth is, is that weak faith is like a big deal and it's a problem, but it's not something you're just stuck with. You know, in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, it says, Without faith it's impossible to please him, for who, whatever draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You've got to be able to add this into your equation. You've got to be able to inform your anxiety and confidence detector That God exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. It's a faith thing. You know, in Luke 17, uh, the disciples pray to Jesus, or call out to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus responds by saying, You know, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you could do this and this and this and this. That's not Jesus saying um, you don't need more faith. That's just Jesus saying, You know, we just need a little bit more faith. So if you are one of those who would say, you know, I do need to more consciously think about God being my God, and I do need to more consciously uh, consistently tell myself, my goal is to know God. But you'd say, you know, I, I believe those things, and yet I feel... More anxious, I think, than I should. Well, one of the things to look at is your natural capacity, your, your personal capacity, not natural, your individual capacity to add God's presence and promises into your equation that determine whether you're okay or not. You've got to grow in your faith. And you can do that. One of the things you could do consistently is to understand you're way more of a leaky bucket than you realize. And that like for most of us, it's really not okay to just to hear God's word once a day or, or, or even once a week or something like that. That We need constant reminders of God's presence and his promises. and So we can build systems into our lives that, that remind us frequently about God's care and his promises. We, we have to deal with the basic issue, and that is a lack of figuring in. God's presence and his promises. But I'll tell you this. Anytime I say I am weak, fill in the blank, I know this. I know the character of my God and I know his heart glows for the weak. I know that he leans in with tender delight to care for weak things. So if I have weak faith, I know that God is going to be so kind and caring and patient with me. Let me pray for us. Lord God, give us a clear sense of where we stand with you. Interrupt those moments in our days when You are not our God or our goal. Lord, interrupt those moments with anxiety. God, also increase our faith. Increase our capacity to say in response to the gathered armies surrounding the camp, My Lord is my light and my salvation. I shall not fear. Increase our faith, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So for communion, I thought I would tell you about uh, the two books in the New Testament that use the word confidence the most. And the one is uh, Hebrews, and the other is the little book of 1 John. If you look at how they talk about confidence... They're really mostly talking about confidence to face. It's like this the most dangerous situation.